0: Church family, I invite you to open up in your copy of God's Word to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 21, verses 8 through 34 is our text for today. Genesis 21, 8 through 34. The title of our message is Distinguishing the People of Promise. Distinguishing the People of Promise. I'm going to read this text from God's Word. Let's let the Word of God just minister to us as we hear from Him. And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. She departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, let me not look on the death of the child. Now she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up your boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the boat. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity. But as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. When Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me and I have not heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a covenant. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart, and Abimelech said to Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? He said, These seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand, that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. Therefore, that place was called Beersheba, because there both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. It's the word of the Lord for his church today. Heavenly Father, would you um, work your word and the truths of your word into our hearts today. Mold us into the people that you desire for us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Recently, I was at a farm with my children that had all sorts of activities for kids. And I enjoyed the activities, too. So either they were for adults or I was pretending that I was a kid. But that particular day, there was a lot of school field trips that thought it would be a good day to go to that particular farm and have a good time. So when you take uh, a group of children to a place that has about a 1,000 other children, one of the most important things you've got to do is keep up with the children that belong to you. Now, I know what y'all are thinking. This is about to be a story about how I lost my kids, but that's not what happened. I promise I didn't. But I was noticing how all of these other people were keeping up with their groups of kids, these teachers and chaperones, and, and, and one of the ways they did it was by having all their kids wear the same shirt, Right? Had the same color shirt. You are teachers, you know this, you've probably done this many times um, to keep up with your kids. As long as the kids don't start swapping shirts with people from other schools. It's a great way to ensure that you keep under your care all those children who have been entrusted to you. I even saw uh, one school group that had so many kids that they had divided their group into smaller groups and all the kids had the name of the school on their shirt but each of the smaller groups uh, they based that off the color of their shirt. So it was a group of green shirts they had the name of the school, a group of purple shirts they had the name of the school, so on and so forth. And at one point I was standing in a sea of little green shirts, all around me, uh, trying to pay attention to my kids who thankfully didn't have green shirts on, and um, and and I heard one of the teachers or one of the parents chaperones say, I heard, she was looking around and she said, "Okay, it looks like I've got all that are mine." I heard her say that. There's no telling how many times she said that that day. Now, what was she doing? She was using the shirts as a way to distinguish between the children who belonged to her and the children who didn't. Belonged to her. All of her children had on those green shirts with the name of the school on it. They belonged to her. Church, what we see in today's passage is God distinguishing between the people who belong to him and the people who don't belong to him. So the big question then is what is the distinguishing feature? What is the distinguishing feature of those who belong to God? And church, the distinguishing feature is not the color of of a shirt that we have on. It's not the color of our skin. It's not our accent or our language or our social status or our income bracket or where we live on this planet. The distinguishing feature between those who belong to God and those who don't belong to God is whether or not they are children of promise. Whether or not they are children of promise. Genesis chapter 21, verse 8 through 34 teaches us that people belonging to God's promise are eternally set apart as belonging to God. People belonging to God's promise are eternally set apart as belonging to God. The theme of promise has been one that we've seen really since the opening chapters of the book of Genesis as we've been making our way through this grand book of God's word. And if we study the whole Bible, we see the theme of promise is central really to the entire storyline of scripture from Genesis to Revelation. And we began with God's promise to punish man if he disobeyed God's one rule. And then once he disobeyed, we saw God promise to destroy the tempter, the serpent, who tempted the man's wife and thus the man to disobey God's rule. And then we've seen all sorts of promises since then. At this point in the book of Genesis, God has promised to pour out his blessings of offspring and land and protection and worldwide impact of blessing on this man named Abraham. But all of that hinged upon Abraham having a son which God promised to give to Abraham through his wife, Sarah. Now, you'll remember Sarah. We've talked about this. Sarah was both barren and she was too old, from in human terms, to have a child. And so with her eyes fixed on her impossible circumstances rather than on her God who could do the impossible, Sarah took matters into her own hands and she gave her servant Hagar to her husband, Sarah's husband, Abraham, so that they could have a son who she thought would then be this son that God had promised. Abraham did that. The son's name was Ishmael and we studied about that. Several weeks ago, when we were back in Genesis chapter 16, but about 13 years has passed since then. And in that time frame, God kept his promise. As we saw a couple of weeks ago, God made good on that promise. Look at the opening words of chapter 21, just to remind us where we're at in this story. Chapter 21, uh, the beginning, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. And so we get to verse 8, our passage for today, a few more years have passed, but God has promised Abraham this blessing uh, of worldwide blessing through an offspring, and Abraham has two offsprings, two sons at this point, one by the servant Hagar, that son's name is Ishmael, the other by his wife, Sarah, and that son's name is Isaac. So the question then is, which son will the blessing come through, this distinguishing mark where we can see who God's people are and who those are who don't belong to God. What we see is that Isaac, not Ishmael, is the son of promise. The son through whom God's blessing would come, through whom his people would be named. And the distinguishing feature is that of promise. Isaac, not Ishmael, is the son of promise. That's the key to understanding our passage today. It doesn't just matter for Isaac or Ishmael. It matters for us. Friend, if you want to belong to God which I pray is the desire of all of our hearts. If you want to belong to God, then you want to make sure you too have this distinguishing mark, which is the mark of God's promise. And if you do, if you belong to the people of promise, then you can rest in this truth that you will belong to God, not just for a day or a week or a month or a year throughout your life here on this earth, but forever and ever and ever and ever. Let me share with you today two truths that we see in this passage of Scripture. we're going to spend most of our time on the first one. And that comes from verses 8 through 21. And then we'll wrap up and quickly look at the the last little section that we read a moment ago. And that'll, that'll be truth number two. So truth number one for us today is this. God's people are built on God's promise, not human effort. God's people are built on God's promise, not on human effort. The scene beginning in verse 8 is a feast. And it's a feast celebrating Isaac's weaning. Now it was customary um, in this particular time and culture that a child would nurse just about up to around the age of three. So Isaac is probably about three years old in this passage um, before us today. Which means his half-brother Ishmael is about 16 years old. They're about 13 years apart. Now, this is supposed to be a happy day. It's a celebration. They they gathered their their household. Um, Abraham has made a feast, and they're celebrating. But verse 9 kind of tells us that there's a little turn in the happiness because Sarah, she gets mad. She gets mad. Look at verse 9. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. Now, when mama gets mad, right, it's not good. When mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy, right? And this celebration, um, it it stops being a celebration pretty quickly. Now, remember, Isaac's name means he laughs. And so we continue to see this play on words with Isaac's name. Sarah and Abraham had laughed in disbelief when God said, hey, you're going to have a son. Um, even though Sarah's barren and y'all are really old, they had laughed in disbelief. Then when they did have that son, we saw um, in the last passage that Uh, Sarah laughed a laugh of joy. God has given me this son. And now we see Ishmael laughing. This word laugh can mean the laugh of joy, the laugh of disbelief. It can also mean a laugh of mockery, which the context here reveals is what is meant here. Uh, Ishmael, in some way, is making fun of or laughing at, mistreating his younger half-brother, Isaac. And one thing you definitely don't ever do is make fun of mama's little boy while mama's listening, right? You don't do that, especially, especially if you are the son of her disliked servant and her husband, not the servant's husband, but your husband, right? That just tends to make matters a little bit messier. The tensions created between Hagar and Sarah probably uh, have been brewing for the past 16 years. I can only imagine with them continuing to live in the same house. Uh, But again, Sarah's at fault here. Um, She thought it would be a good idea for her husband to have a child with her servant, which is really one of the main points. The child Ishmael is a result of human initiative. It's a result of human choosing. It's a result of human effort and scheming and planning. But you add to the bad blood between Sarah and Hagar the fact that Ishmael... Being the, really the firstborn of Abraham, he could have contended for the inheritance that she believed belonged to her son Isaac. And so we can understand Sarah's response. She is not happy when she sees Ishmael making fun of Isaac. She sees teenage Ishmael, son of her husband and another woman, contender for the inheritance, mistreating her three-year-old son Isaac. And she says to Abraham in verse 10, and uh, I have a feeling it wasn't said in a very nice tone of voice, Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. Kick him out. Get rid of them. Because Ishmael is not going to take my son's inheritance. That's a very important verse. We'll come back to it in a moment. What happens next? Abraham, he's not happy at all by this. He doesn't say, you're right, Sarah. No, he is... He is He is displeased. He is distressed. He loves Ishmael. Yes, Ishmael came into this world by less than God honoring means, but he was still Abraham's son. Abraham had spent the past 16 years raising this boy. He was his boy. Verse 11 says, and the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God then speaks to Abraham and he reveals that Sarah's rejection of Hagar and Ishmael is actually according to God's Will. It's in God's divine plan. Verse 12 and 13. But God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Key phrase there. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also because he is your offspring. So here Abraham is faced with a choice. Okay? It's a choice send Hagar and Ishmael away, cast them out into the wilderness and hope that they survive or, or just not listen to his wife, not listen to God and keep them under his care. In verse 13 and 14 tells us that Abraham, he rose early in the morning and he did exactly what God told him to do. He gives Hagar some bread, some water. He hands over Ishmael, his son to her and he sends her now, the text follows along a little bit with what happens with Hagar and Ishmael, right? They, they wander around the wilderness until their, their water runs out, and then she thinks they're both going to die. She doesn't want to see her son die, so she puts uh, Ishmael under some bushes over here. She goes a, a ways off, and she sits down, and she just begins to cry, and she thinks this is the end. But God heard Ishmael, which, if you'll recall, Back when Ishmael was born, uh, Hagar was crying out to God, and Ishmael's name means God hears. And so now we have uh, God hearing Ishmael, who is maybe crying, maybe calling out to God. We're not exactly sure, but the angel of God calls out to Hagar and says, get up, take up the boy. You're going to live. He's going to become a great nation. And then her eyes are opened by God. She sees a place where she can get some water, fill their canteens up with water. And the text goes on to tell us that, um, that they survived. God was with, uh, with Ishmael. doesn't mean that he was a child of promise, but it does mean that God was going to keep his promise to Ishmael to make him into a great nation. And there were the Ishmaelites that came from Ishmael. God rescued them from death. So we see God's interaction with Hagar and Ishmael, that God is compassionate. Uh, He cares for their needs and he keeps his word. Even among those who weren't part of the people of promise, God had made them a promise and he kept his word to them. But the emphasis here is that all the attention is now shifting away from this 16-year-old son, the son of human choosing, to the son of promise, Isaac. The emphasis on the separation of Ishmael and Isaac. The emphasis on the distinction that is being made not only by Sarah, but by God between these two boys. I said a moment ago that we learn here that God's people are built on promise, not on human effort. Let me show you how we can see this in this text. Let me ask four questions and answer these four questions. And I think it will help us kind of wrap our minds around this text of Scripture. And not just understand it for what it is there in Genesis, but see how relevant it is for salvation, Through Jesus Christ today. Question number one is this What was the difference between these two sons? What was the distinguishing feature? Why did God separate them and cast Ishmael out? The distinguishing mark was that Ishmael was the result, as we've said, of human effort, while Isaac was the result of God's promise to Abraham and Sarah. Yes, they were both Abraham's son. Yes, they were both born from natural reproductive interaction between their respective parents, so divine intervention was necessary for the birth of Isaac. Yes, God was involved in both of their lives. And we even see God speaking to Ishmael here. But Isaac, only Isaac was the child of promise. And remember that phrase from verse 12. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. That was the promise God had made to Abraham back in chapter 17. Where Abraham had argued with God and said, no, 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 no. Ishmael is good. I've already got this son. He can be the child of promise. And God said, no. He will not be the child of promise. I will will give you a child, you and your wife Sarah, just like I said, and that will be the child of promise, which is important. Remember that word promise is important because you trace that promise all the way to Jesus Christ, who is the promised one. It's going to be through Isaac. The distinguishing mark is that Isaac is a child of promise. Isaac is the result of God's choosing, God's divine power and intervention in their lives. Ishmael was the result merely of human effort. Hang on to that phrase. Question number two. What happened to the two sons? Well, we saw that they're separated. They're separated by God. One's rejected from his father's presence. And the other remained in the presence of his father. The one who is the result of human choice and human effort, human striving, was cast away. And the one who is the result of simply trusting the promises of God remained in the presence of his father and ultimately received the inheritance And friends, this is exactly how it works in God's economy of salvation for us today. People who try to gain a good standing with God through human effort end up rejected by God and cast away from his presence forever. While those who seek a right standing with God, not by trying to do enough good things, but by believing by faith, the promises of God's grace in Christ Jesus, those are the ones who are welcomed into God's presence forever, who receive the eternal inheritance of everlasting life with God. Now, maybe you think I'm reading a little too much into this passage. You say, Zach, how are you jumping from this to Jesus and him dying on the cross for our sins and us believing in Jesus, that seems a long way from Genesis chapter 21. Perhaps it's not as far off from Genesis 21 as we might think. And so I want to ask this third question. What interpretation of Genesis 21 do we see from the New Testament writers? What what does the New Testament say about Genesis chapter 21? When we read the New Testament, we see that Genesis 21 actually plays a very key role in the Apostle Paul's teaching that salvation comes by grace, through faith in Christ Jesus, and not through good works, not through being a biological descendant of Abraham. The two key places we see this are Romans chapter 9 and Galatians chapter 4. So if you got your Bible you want to flip there you can or you just listen as I read a couple of these verses but Romans chapter 9 will start there Romans 9 Paul is addressing the topic of the spiritual state of the Jews now I'll have to summarize some of it but he basically says that even though the unbelieving Jews had everything going for them in their biological lineage and in their history and in their possession of the law They had rejected Jesus as the Messiah. Who is Jesus? He's the promised one. And so they actually were not a part of God's people, even though they had people of Israel as their title. This doesn't mean that God had failed to keep his word, because here's the thing. God had never promised. He never promised to save people through a biological connection to Abraham. That was never his promise to begin with. It wasn't the people who had the law and tried really hard to keep the law who were God's people. All along, God's people have been the people of promise, the people who hear God's promise and place their faith and trust in God's promise. Paul says this in Romans 9, beginning beginning in verse 6. And notice how he just jumps back and forth between Genesis 21 and, and the truth of salvation in Christ. He says, For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. Now, there he's using the word offspring in the physical sense. They're saying, hey, I'm an offspring of Abraham. I descended from Abraham, so certainly I'm a part of God's people. He says, nope, that's not how it works. He says, not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But then he quotes Genesis 21, but through Isaac shall your offspring, now he's using the spiritual sense of offspring, be named. Then he gives the meaning. He says, this means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. The word offspring here now is speaking about the people of God, the people of God. Not necessarily biological descendants, but those who belong to God, those of whom God says, these are mine. These are my people. These are the ones under my care. And he quotes from Genesis 18 again, uh, from Genesis 18, he says, For this is what the promise said, about this time next year I will return, and Sarah shall have a son. And so Paul is making the case, based on Genesis 21, that physical descent from Abraham is not enough. That's human effort is not enough to make someone a child of God. You have to be a part of the promised offspring, not just the physical offspring. So that's one place, one exposition of Genesis 21 that we find in the New Testament, Romans 9. The other one is in Galatians chapter 4. And so if you're finding these in your Bible, you can flip over a few pages to Galatians chapter 4. Now, in Galatians chapter 4, uh, Paul is writing, and our, our youth are right in the middle of this because they're studying through the book of Galatians on Wednesday nights. And so they'll, they'll be familiar with some of this. Paul is writing to the Gentile uh, Christians there in Galatia. This means that the people he's writing to have believed in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. They are basing their eternal state on on the fact that God has said, I will save you through Jesus Christ. You don't have to do anything to earn your salvation. Jesus has done it all. And there's a problem. And the problem is that these people called Judaizers have come into the church there and they're preaching a different gospel. They're saying, oh, that sounds great, but you know what? If you really want to make sure your eternal destiny is secure, if you really want to make sure you belong to God's people, you can't just believe in Jesus. you got to You've got to do some good things. You've got to show God. you got to prove to Him that you really love Him. You've got to do some good works. And that's what these false teachers were coming into the church at Galatia and saying. So Paul is combating this false teaching of a works-based view of salvation. And one of the very many Old Testament texts that he turns to is Genesis chapter 21. Now, we can spend a lot of time walking through this passage, but we're not going to. I'm going to read it. And I want you to notice Paul's interpretation, which this is an inspired word of God, so it's God's interpretation. What God is saying, we should learn from Genesis chapter twenty-one. Paul writes this, Galatians four verse twenty-one. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, tell me, you who are trying to earn your salvation, you're going to add good works so you can really be saved. Tell me, do you not listen to that very law? Do you not do you not read Genesis chapter twenty-one? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave woman was born according to the flesh. There's that human effort phrase that I've been using. Born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. That doesn't mean this didn't actually happen. It just means that there was more going on here than met the eye with the story of of, uh, Ishmael and Isaac, of Hagar and Sarah. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. Paul writes, these women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai. Think the law. One is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, those Jews who are trusting in their good works instead of Jesus, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above, spiritual Jerusalem, the people of God, she is free. And she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who who, who does not bear. Break forth and cry, cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. We looked at that. That was the prophet Isaiah commenting on the birth of Isaac. Sarah's barren, but she's rejoicing. He says, Now you, brothers, now you, brothers and sisters in Christ, you people who have believed in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he was born according to the flesh, Ishmael, persecuted, there's that word, laughed, mocked, persecuted, mistreated, him who was born according to the spirit, that is uh, Isaac, so also it is now. In other words, these false teachers are persecuting you by trying to tell you that you've got to do good things in order for God to love you. They're mistreating you just like uh, Ishmael was persecuting and mistreating Isaac all the way back in Genesis 21. He says, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? And notice what verse he quotes. Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. And then he gives the meaning. He says, so brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Don't, don't go back to trying to earn God's love. You can't do it. Don't submit to that yoke of slavery. You keep your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you hope in him alone. as the way that God is going to rescue you from your sin. Like I said, a lot, of, a lot to unpack in that passage, but, but that's, you get the gist of what Paul is saying there. If you think that doing good works by obeying God's law is the way to have salvation, then you actually belong to Ishmael, whose mother was a slave, which means you are living in slavery to your sin, which means God will cast you out of his presence forever. But if you believe, and here's the good news, church, if you believe in the promised one of God, that is Jesus Christ, you believe in that promise, that you, then you are freed from this burden of sin, You're freed from the guilt of that sin. You actually belong to God as His children. And you have the inheritance of everlasting life with God our Father. You have that distinguishing mark. You are the children of promise. And that's the New Testament interpretation of Genesis 21. Ishmael was the result of human effort. What did it lead to? Being cast away. Isaac was the result of God's good and gracious promise. And what did it lead to? Being called God's people. And understanding that right here in Genesis chapter 21 helps build a foundation for our understanding of that great doctrine of the Christian faith. Salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Not a salvation based on good works. But question number four, and really we kind of just answered it. How do I get to be a part of this people? How do I get to put on that green shirt, right? How do I get to be said of God? These are my people. I want to hear God say that of me. I want to be included in that. How do I get to be a part of that promise? Well, some people misunderstand what this means about we're saved through promise. You see and this this comes from our human nature of wanting to do things ourselves and not admit that we can't do it and we need somebody else to help. We often think, so many people think, that it's me promising God that I'll do something. That that's how I'm saved through promise. Oh God, I I know that I've sinned, but God, I promise you that I'm going to stop doing... Fill in the blank. I'm going to stop lying to my spouse or lying to my parents. I'm going to stop cheating on my taxes or I'm going to stop... Gossiping so much, or I'm gonna stop complaining, or I'm gonna stop having a bad attitude, or I'm gonna stop. You just fill in the blank with whatever you want to there. Or, or the other way, I, I'm gonna start doing. God, I promise that I'll start. God, I, I promise I'll start going to church more. I promise that I'll read my Bible more. I, I promise that I'll be a nicer person and I, I'll, I'll be kinder to my to my wife or to my kids or to my my boss or to my coworkers or I'll. I'll be kinder to the other drivers on the road, or, or whatever it is. I'll stop doing bad things and I'll start doing good things. We could summarize that promise this way: God, I'll I promise I'll be a better person. And do you know what that is? That's the way of Ishmael. That's that's human effort. That's trying to become a part of God's people. By earning God's love. And the promise of salvation is the reverse. It's not us making God promises and trying to fulfill them. It's God making us a promise and fulfilling it. Promising to save everyone who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. Promising that the blood of Christ is enough to rescue us from our sin. So that I don't have to promise, oh, I'm going to be a better person. And, and that God's going to keep this little tally mark. And if I, don't, if I don't make good on my promises, God's not going to love me. no. That's the opposite of salvation. I read earlier from Romans chapter 9. In Romans chapter 10, after Paul writes about the Jews trying to earn righteousness through good works, Paul writes of the righteousness based on faith. We do have to be righteous in order to be accepted by God. God's not going to count people who are unrighteous His people. The question is whether we try to earn that righteousness or receive a free gift of righteousness from God. And he writes this in Romans chapter 10. Paul writes, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the Scripture says, Hear the good promises of God. Everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing riches. There is the inheritance of eternal life. Riches on all who call on Him. And here is the good promise again. For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord, That's talking about Jesus. So everyone who calls up in the name of Jesus will be saved. That's how you become a part of the people of promise. By believing God's promise of salvation. By grace, through faith in Jesus, not through good works. Church, God's people are built on God's promise, not human effort. And I just want to tell you, there's maybe you, you might be here today and you've been trying to Become a part of God's people through human efforts. Stop doing that and turn your life over to Christ. And I guarantee you, you know people who, that's, this is how they're trying to earn God's love. They're trying to do good things. They're trying to be a better person. And they need to hear this good news. They need to hear that God loves them and he sent his son to die for them. And it's not about them trying to earn God's love by being a better person. It's about them receiving God's free gift of grace, his love. And here's, here's just the icing on the cake, or the cherry on top, or whatever you want however you want to say that. that if we belong to God's people as the people of promise, we believed in the good, promises of God, placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then we belong to God. We are His promised people forever and ever and ever. I told you two truths, and I told you we're going to spend most of our time on truth number one and the last one quickly at the end. And that's what we want to wrap up doing. Truth number two is simply this. God's promised people will be preserved forever. God's promised people will be preserved forever. He builds his promised people based on his promises, not our effort. And then he preserves his promised people forever and ever and ever. We have this. Final this kind of last little story here about Abimelech and and Thichol and and we'll just kind of summarize it in, in chapter in chapter twenty one verse twenty two through twenty four uh, Abimelech he sees that Abraham is just being blessed by God and he's like you know what I better be friends with Abraham forever and my descendants better be friends with Abraham's descendants forever because God's gonna bless them and they're gonna end up wiping us out uh, plus we've already we you know we've already met uh, Abimelech he and Abraham already have a a little bit of a pass together. You can read about that in chapter 20. We've already looked at that. So he wants to be on Abraham's good side. So he says, hey, come, come make a treaty with me that you're going to treat me well. Abraham says, sure, I'll make a treaty with you. They make a treaty. Abraham swears to the oath. He's going to deal kindly with them. Then we get to verses 25 through um, 34, and uh, there's this confrontation between Abimelech and Abraham. Apparently Abraham had dug a well in the past, and Abimelech's servant had taken, servants had taken over that well. And Abraham says, hey, That's my well. I want it back. Tell your servants to get lost. It's basically, I'm paraphrasing, but that's basically what he says. And so Abimelech, they kind of go through the back and forth between, well, I didn't know. You didn't tell me, blah, blah, blah. And then Abraham says, let's make this right. We got to make this right. He says, I am going to make a covenant with you. We're going to make a covenant that this well belongs to me. And so we're going to swear, we're going to make, make this oath between us. I'm going to give you a gift to show that, hey, I really did build this well. Um, and, uh, and then uh, I'm going to set these seven ewe lambs apart as another reminder as a symbol that this well belongs to me. And if you take these gifts from me, that's you saying, I agree with you, that well belongs to you, Abraham. And it works. They swear. They, Abraham gives off the stuff, he gives them his word that, hey, my servants aren't going to mess with your well anymore, and, um, and they're happy. What, what's the point here? Well, read the final verses, and we see that they live in that land. So what has God, Abraham and his son Isaac, um, Ishmael's gone at this point, his son Isaac, they live there in that land for many more days. They sojourn in the land of the Philistines. Abraham plants a tree, he calls on the name of the Lord, he worships God as the everlasting God. And then this passage ends. What's the point? What's the connection with the previous passage about distinguishing the people of promise? Well, God had given Abraham a son, Isaac. This was the son of promise. Through whom would come the people of promise? Through whom would come the promised Messiah? But if they're going to become a great people, they need somewhere to live and they need water to drink. And we're back to the, the necessities of life. They, they need somewhere to live and they need water to drink. And so what is God doing here? He is providing Abraham and his son Isaac with a temporary land with a well to dwell in so that they could survive. Now, it's not the land of promise, the promised land, but they do live here for a while. God is preserving his people. God was preserving the people of promise. And when Abraham responds in worship, calling God the everlasting God then we're reminded that God is able to preserve His people, not just now, but forever and ever and ever, because God is forever and ever and ever. So by preserving Abraham, God is preserving Isaac, and by preserving Isaac, God is preserving His promise, and by preserving His promise, God was preserving His people of promise, which includes everyone who believes in God's salvation promise, this through Jesus, who is the promised offspring of Abraham and Isaac. And since God is everlasting, church, God's promise for His people of an eternal inheritance with Him forever, will last forever. Nothing will take that away. So the question for us today is simply this. To which people do we belong? To which people do you belong? Do you belong to the people of promise, or do you not? Have you believed in God's promise to save everyone who believes in Jesus? It means that you trusted in Jesus and what He did by dying in your place as sufficient payment to satisfy God's wrath towards your sin. It means that you believe that God raised up Jesus from the dead and that He's conquered sin and Satan and death on your behalf. You don't have to do that. It means that Jesus gives everlasting life to all who believe in Him, that you're hoping in that, in His ability to save you, not in your ability to somehow save yourself. Friends, one day Christ is coming back and there will be a great distinguishing that takes place. God is going to separate the wheat from the tares, the good fruit from the bad fruit. He's going to separate the sheep from the goats. He's going to separate the people of promise, the people who have tried to attain salvation through human effort. And only people belonging to God's promise are eternally set apart. As belonging to God's people. And so have you believe in Jesus Christ? If not, you can do so today. You confess your sin to God and confess Jesus as your Savior and Lord. And I pray that if you haven't trusted in Christ, if you've been saying, God, I'll be a better person. God, I'll be a better person. I hope you'll love me. I'll be a better person. I hope that gets me into heaven one day. Stop that and believe in Jesus today he alone can save you and friends if you have trusted in christ alone for salvation this is a this is a reminder and a call for us as christians today it's a reminder that we are we belong to god not because of our good works it's easy to start thinking that we've done something good to earn god's love and sometimes we need to be reminded we have it it's all a gift of his grace and maybe we need to be reminded that um, if we feel like god is not loving us today that it's just trying to be a better person is not going to get us back in the right relationship with Him. It's running back to the cross It's saying, Jesus is enough, Jesus is enough, Jesus is enough. And as we do that, as we get that reminder that it's not based on our works, then it's a call to us as Christians and it's the call to humbly worship the everlasting God who has made such good and great promises at the cost of the life of his son so that you and I could have this eternal inheritance as the offspring of Abraham, the offspring of Isaac, the ones who believe in the promised offspring of the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, when God gathers his children one day, we who have the distinguishing mark of the people of promise, we're going to hear God say, these are my children. These are mine. These are the ones that belong to me. These are the ones that I'm taking care of. And I'm the everlasting God. And I'm going to take care of them forever and ever and ever. All glory to that great God. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this passage from your word. How amazing that even in the in the messed up family interactions of Abraham and Sarah and Hagar and Ishmael and Isaac, God, you are building this foundation where your people could read something like this, this passage of Scripture, and, and understand that we don't have to earn, we can't earn salvation, but you give it as a free gift through your good and great promises that center upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And so God, I pray that we would celebrate, we would worship you for your good promises that you have made to us. God, protect us from, from falling back into this this spirit of slavery as the Galatians were being tempted to do, where we begin to look at our works and think we have to do something and add something to faith in Jesus to earn salvation. God, our good works are important, but they're, they're merely a response of thanksgiving to You. They're not, they're not adding to our salvation. They're not making us more saved. Help us not to fall back in that spirit of slavery. Lord, thank You for the promises that are ours in Christ Jesus. Thank you that we belong to you forever and ever and ever. God, if there's someone who hasn't believed in Jesus, I I pray that if they hadn't already done so, Lord, that right now they would pour their heart out to you and they would talk with you and they would ask you to save them based on the blood of Jesus and not their own human effort. God, help us as a church to celebrate this beautiful message of salvation today as God's, as Your promised people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.